I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 97, and our book is Aramon Eternal by John French. Tells the continuing misadventures of Aramon. Across the warp. Ah. Uh, we posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our discussions via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read this book, definitely check it out, then come back to this episode, as we'll be discussing the book from start to finish in great detail. Before we dive in, I must mention, we were remiss and did not celebrate our anniversary. What was it, two weeks ago? April 5th. Yeah, four years. Yay. Yay! Four years! Four years as a book club. So for all of the people who have been with us since the beginning, thank you. Thank you so much. And here's to at least another four years. Assuming Armin doesn't break me. Um, as you could tell from my intro. No, sir. I didn't like this book. How about you, Carrie? I thought it was okay. Like it was okay. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I I want everyone to know that I went into this book with the openest of open minds. Like, I was like, you know, I did not like the other three books. Which is ironic because I'm really good. I always give Aramin, he's like Sideshow Bob with the rakes, right? Just keeps making the same mistake over and over. And here I am reading the fourth book. So I'm one to talk. Um, well, no, that's but not I exactly go into fair. It, I was, he doesn't make the same mistake over and over. He just, keep make, he just keeps making mistakes. He has the same goal. He tries different paths to get yes. to the same goal. But you're you're correct. Um, I, I really went into this with open mind. I was like, you know what? It's the new millennium. Like, this was John French when he first started writing it. You really can't do anything with Armin's story, per se, because it's not like you're going to kill Armin, and it's not like he's going to actually fix the Thousand Sons. Um, well, and he still can't. I... We'll talk more about that later. Um, I did not like this book. Uh, and you know what? When I read the prologue, I was reading it. I was laying in bed. And my husband's next to me watching uh, YouTube. And I'm sitting there. And I read it. And I'm like, oh, this is Harlow. Oh, this is going to be a long book. Um, I nearly reshelved the book. And texted Jen and be like, you know what? I can't do this. We just need to pick something else. Like... <laughs> So there was an opportunity to not read this Can you denied me? Y yes. Because I thought I about it. To know that's the kind of friend Carrie is. I d but I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I'd still rather read this than a Tao book. Oh man. That shit sandwich or vomit milkshake right there. <laughs> I'll just skip dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a hard one. Okay, yes, if those are my options. I'd rather read Armin. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what parts stood out to you? There were actually a couple of parts. Um, one, I really enjoyed the glimpse that we got into Armin about what a badass he can be we saw this in the first book and we haven't seen it again until now it's when the theater kids invaded the ship and he's pretty much like i don't 
think so. And then just went to town, exploding them right and left, killing everybody. He talks about how he's in like 20 different parts of the ship, seeing what's going on. And at one point he's like, oh, I see what they're doing. They're like doing an act. That's interesting. But now they all have to die. I'll look at this later. And, you know, just I'm like, you know what? It's this. I did. It's this. I will stuff. give you. I appreciated that when he figures it out, when he's like, oh, I get it. Like, it was the moment when he was like, they're theater kids. I remember this act of rent. And then <laughs> proceeds to. It reminded me of one of my favorite little hearts with the harlequins um from the first fabulous bill book you remember when the that when the um emperor's children guy they're fighting them and he was like watching and he's like oh someone's out of step and like kills the guy it reminded me of that and i was like yeah and i, also, I want also, everyone to know the harlequins are forever performing rent i don't care what they call it i don't I mean, care what true. it is they're performing rent they're performing rent the uh, other part that i kind of liked was you know kind of similar to this it's when he and Ignis are watching the Necron do time. And they're like, this is fascinating to watch. Like, they're outside of it the entire time. And the Necron's just like, wait, this is not how this is supposed to go. I did find that entertaining. Especially even at the end when he's still trying to use his chronomancy. And Armin's like, oh, okay, I can watch this. Let's see, where's the mistake? There it is. I can act on it. Like, okay, that's pretty cool that he can step outside of chronomancy. Um... And that was like, yep, about it. I actually, in that scene too, I did like it because they're kind of figuring out what's going on with the chronomancy in the beginning of the book. And I did like how all of a sudden Tatek is like, oh, you're creatures of the warp. I got you. So like, I like this whole thing of like, we're figuring each other out. And he basically has that realization of like, mm, yeah, I see what's going on here, actually. And there's a scene later where I think it's Caius is like, um, where he's like, how did you learn the word haywire? And Sedek is like, oh, yeah, I figured out everything about He's <laughs> talking with you. I figured you out. Which I thought that was kind of fun. Like, I like this whole getting to know you. Getting to know all of. Yeah, anyways. Uh, yeah. That's that's about actually there's one other piece that I that really stood out to me, but it's not um an actual we're just into our next our first question, which is uh I'm gonna use my favorite movie quote, and I'm not being facetious. This is actually one of my favorite all-time movie quotes, and it's how I define Araman. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. Araman is still trying to ice skate uphill. Were you invested in this misadventure? What did you think of it? Did you like his, I know we said that we liked seeing him be a badass, but did you like his internal workings, his goal? Like, does this- No. Does does this continue Araman's story in a meaningful way? No, because I don't think he knew what he was doing. It's very interesting that you say that because I will be very honest and say that it wasn't until about the halfway of the point of the book where I was like, I, I think I see what he's doing. And then we get to the end and I'm like, what, what was your goal I don't here? know. Like, what I, did you think you were doing? So another thing is I really got the impression, this is probably true, that he had no idea what Xenosis is. Like we know it's a Necron, but obviously he didn't know. So if you don't know, why would you think this thing can help you? It was very 
odd, and I couldn't really follow his train of thought. Yes. And so along those lines, one of the problems that I always have with Armin is that everyone always talks about how smart Armin is, right? Like John French as an author tells you how smart Armin is. And Armin himself is always talking about how smart he is. And all of his friends around him are so smart. But he never really behaves in, in the manner of a smart character throughout all of the books. And I complained about this in the first three books too. Like he trusts a little too easily. His thought processes, he makes leaps of logic where I'm like, mm, no, you definitely have player knowledge, not character knowledge. He never, if I were to be charitable, I would say that he is the definition between intelligence and wisdom. But I'm not being charitable tonight. I, it's been a long week. Um, I, so there was a moment in the book that stood out to me. This is how much it stood out to me. It's when he's talking with Setek and Setek is basically like, oh, you know, my people, we created a device that would let us permanently alter time and like go back and change the path. And Armin goes, then why are you dead? Like, why are your people dead if that's the case? And I set down the book and was like, holy shit, that was a smart question. Mother of mercy. He I, actually said something smart. I actually and liked And didn't all of, blindfully test, trust Setek. I liked uh, how, I liked his barbs against Setek and his disdain for their people. And as he's looking, you know, even in the tomb world, and he was like, there was no great enemy. It was you. You know, which I'm just like, well, of course, uh, we all knew that anyway, but. But, you know, but for him to kind of notice this and he's just like, you guys are so full of it. You have no idea. So I know that was kind of done in a way to show how they're they're exactly alike because Ariman has kind of done the same thing with his own people. Did, did you get that? Did you did you get that when they were talking about the three kings? Like, did you get it? Did you did, did you get that? It's it's just like Ariman. I thought it was telling the romance of the three kingdoms, to be totally honest, but. You keep Dynasty Warriors out of your mouth. <laughs> I actually read those books. Um, it, it, yes, actually, you are right. But I kept thinking when I got to that, I started singing We Three Kings of Orient are. <laughs> uh, I feel like Armin would have been the guy that got lost on the way there. There were supposed to be four. Supposed to be four? Yeah, Armin, you got lost. No, um, you know what? I think Armin is the guy with the myrrh. You know, because if you know anything about myrrh, it doesn't smell like anything. It's it doesn't really smell like anything, but it has all these other potent properties that you don't see until you actually start to, you know, you use it as a perfume or as incense. And it's actually the most valuable between the gold and the frankincense. So that's actually what I see Ariman being like, here's the thing that you don't know what it does, but it's very expensive. This is me. <laughs> Right. He's just, and you know, I think the problem I have with him is he's just so arrogant. They're and all arrogant. Oh God, they all are. But Armin in particular, and there's a little bit, and I feel as though this book also kind of leaned into that. Like there's, there's a bit of a woe is I ism with Armin, right? Like, oh, woe is I, I tried, I tried the rubric and it didn't work. And then I tried it again and it didn't work. And I'm losing all of my friends and everybody hates me. And now I have and this. hates me. Now I have this pillar of fire chasing us. As one does. I mean, in the Warhammer 40k universe, is that the weirdest thing? No, but I kept wondering. I was like, so in the daytime, does it turn into a cloud? <laughs> right. It's like a water spout. 
No, I'm just Bible jokes for the win. Anyway, continuing. Oh my God, that took me a second. Yeah. Um, more biblical humor this evening. Um, I, yeah, I don't, Mm. he's just a character that I struggle with. And I was kind of hoping that, again, I, I think like in the first book, you could see that John French was really kind of a greener author. And I thought maybe like as he grew and as he kind of, maybe it's just Armin. Maybe I just, and I'm fully willing to admit, I just don't like Armin. But I, you and I were talking about this and you were talking about like him in the Horus Heresy. And I think when other writers write Armin, like in the Horus Heresy especially, I don't like him, but I don't hate him. Well, here's a, here's a more recent example. Hate him. Go look at uh, Rachel Harrison in uh, Mark of Faith when Armin shows up. Even she wrote him better. Very much so. Then he felt more arrogant, yes, but more like the... More like the arrogant villain, almost more like Moriarty character yes. that shows up and is just like, you dumb bastards. <laughs> right? I've outplayed you. And you're like, ooh, he did. He really did. Which like, is how he is in the Horus Heresy. So, you know, um, so in a way, it's, so a lot of thinking about this because it kind of saddens me what that Armin's being portrayed in this way, even though on the one hand, I know he can never be successful because, I mean, I see that and yet reboot and now the lion are weak. So what do I know? I mean, maybe he will. Maybe somewhere down the road, but like, I almost feel like, and I think we've talked about this before. Like I almost feel like for him to succeed, we have to enter the end times. Right, like all the Primarchs are awake. We're getting the band back together. Well, the part the Primarchs weren't dead, and you know, like they're they're fixing. The Thousand Suns are being fixed. Like everything's like we're getting the band back together. Essentially, I don't know. I almost feel like it needs to be that. But you could be right. Maybe they just some like all of a sudden that'll be like in another three years they'll be like, guess what? At first you don't succeed. Try, 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 try again. And then on the 10th time. Well, it just makes me wonder, like, what's the point in him having his own books? It's in a weird way how Rachel Harrison had a much, much more entertaining of him using people for him to gain more knowledge. Because this is what Ariman does. He uses people to gain more knowledge. It's what the Thousand Sons do. And that would be so much more interesting to me than watching him just fumble through something like this. And that's kind of how I feel these books have been, is him fumbling through life. And that kind of makes me sad. And I so I had an, another thought, you know, because um, yeah, we read... Sigismund, I know, it was a whore, I know that was a Horace Heresy character book, but that was written by John French as well, right? So, all right, go on ahead and just, just get your drinks, okay? So, in this Horace Heresy novel that I'm drinking, drinking, <laughs> reading, Cheers. right? I'm reading. I've discovered I think John French is a really good short story writer. Because, I would agree with that. Because some actually. of the short stories I've heard 
in these collections, most of them are about Sigismund, but they're really good. I, I think he's one of those authors who can get a good punch in. Yes. But he can't last 12 rounds. There's so much padding in these books and so much. Which really makes me not want to read any of the Siege of Terra books, y'all, whenever I finally finish the, the Horus Heresy. Um, I, I have permanent hatred. I, I will admit that was my one thing going into this book is I was like, okay. I forget that Siege of Terra book. Oh God, I forget that Siege of Terra book. I have to not think about it. Um, there were a couple points in here where I just, I couldn't let it go. Uh, that book really soured me on him because his book, it's not like it's like, okay, the one thing I will give this book. All right. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a spoiler here on our next one. No, I'm going to use the back of the book. So it's about the size of a regular book, right? That Siege of Terra book. It's a tome. The, no, not going to lie. The Siege of Terra books scare me. They look ridiculous. I'll go on ahead and grab the Dan Abnet one. Yep. Whatever are you talking about, Carrie? This is a reasonable size for volume one of a book. <laughs> volume one. It's going to be it's going to be longer than the unabridged stand or the unabridged Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. It's going to be longer than the Underbridge stand for, uh, yeah, or the Underbridge, it, like, it. It's going to be longer than it, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, because it is longer than stand, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, and it didn't have an abridged version because Stephen King felt that that would interrupt his vision of it. Again, I'm having some emotions and some feelers tonight, guys. So, uh, Mr. Um, King, so I want to ask you, so really, the spider demon with the tongue-biting ritual at the end. That was really what you were going for? That was your glorious vision? I was thinking more of the child gangbang. Like, that was really part of your vision that was necessary to the book? You know, I, uh, um... I mean, there is that. There was the child porn in another scene where guy ends up getting killed hey do you hate gay people mr king and now that i'm wondering because that one kid was immediately killed after he kind of came out so that's fascinating anyway wow i could go on a whole thing about it right now uh couldn't we all right but yeah so if you want to talk about like your vision i have questions about questions. You, about how you decided to end the book did you have but i have it? questions about the visions of the horse to the to your point to seize the terror like Hmm. I read, I read that John French book. I think it's Mortis. Um, oh, honey, let me tell you. Oh, no, there's two of them. I need a Reader's Digest version of that because there's, you could make some cuts here. There's Mortis and then he wrote the first one. Oh, you're right. Yeah, the first wall. I don't have, the, I don't know the LA of that one. Um, I, I just think that, and I'm not saying that John French is a bad author. He's just not my cup of tea. I feel like I've said that a couple of times. This, like, you know, a good example of that is Gavthorpe. Gavthorpe is not my cup of tea. Every now and then he hits it out of the park for me, like with Luther. But by and large, he's just not my guy. Not saying he's bad. He just not for me. I know that I like some of the authors that people are like, meh. And that's fine. Um, but I'm starting to think that John French is definitely that guy for me. Which is weird because like, you know, and I think it may be because when it's defined characters, because unlike the Covenant books, those were not defined characters, and those were okay. 
You could, I mean, there is something to that. Sometimes it's really hard to write somebody else's character. But he does it really well with the short stories. I mean, honestly, the um, the Ariman short stories that were in the omnibus were pretty good. And, and of course, I'm reading them going, why can't your books be like this? And then I'm like, oh, right, I think you're just a short story writer. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. No, there's actually a couple authors in the Black Library right now that I'm like, like, um, oh, God, what's his name? We can't stand him. Peter Fahavari. I read some of his short stories. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, I read oh. two of his short stories about the Angel's yeah. Penitent, and those were really good. I really enjoyed them. They were, as my child would say, straight fire. Um, they were good. Like, they really, they hit, they really, slap. Um, they, they really when you said them. When you said author we hate, I thought you were going to say Ian St. Martin. I was like, I haven't read any of your no. short stories. <laughs> no. No. No redemption for that character, that man. I, if it makes anybody feel better, I feel the same way about Kevin J. Anderson. Look him up, kids. Um, Single-handedly ruined the EU of Star Wars. Anyways, um, so we talked a little bit about this earlier, but we're, and you and I have talked a lot about this offline, so I really want to have this conversation on the podcast. Were the Necrons a good foil for Armin? Because, and we'll talk more about the Harlequins later, but the Necrons, were they a good foil? And did they make the book feel a little dated? Oh, very dated. And so, if I may have the floor here for a minute. The floor is yours, madam. I need a conch in my hand, man. Literary jokes. Anyway, um, so. I don't and, even have anything that looks like a conch. I was and, hoping I had a conch around here, but you know, I don't. Like, I don't have a, like, even, like, any seashells or anything. Anyway, regardless. So, when I, <laughs> when I found out that this book was, you know, included the Necrons, I was like, Huh. Well, that seems old because the Necrons were kind of, I don't know, last year with the whole. They were so 2021. With the whole psychic awakening, with that whole ordeal and the Silent King. And then, you know, we, we've read a, we read a lot of Necron books about them awakening. And then it hit me. I was like, this book was actually originally written nearly a year ago. March 5th, 2022 was when the limited edition came out means it probably started being written in 2021. So if you read the afterword in the limited edition, that was posted June 2021. So we're talking about nearly two years old. All right. So Black Library Games Workshop, whoever needs to listen to this, I think it's fine that you want to release, you know, a, uh, a limited edition book. You need to start releasing other editions with it. Because we've been sitting on this book now for a year, and it feels dated and out of place. If you had at least released an ebook version, we would have read it way back then, and it would have felt a little more in tune with where everything was going. But this thing about doing a limited edition and nothing else, and then publishing everything else eight, eight months to a year later, I'm sorry, my friends, that's got to stop. This isn't the first time that y'all's release schedule has hurt something. I'm thinking back to um, Darkness in the Blood. That limited mm -hmm. edition released mm -hmm. a year before it released in hardback. And Darkness in the Blood had uh, Mephiston go through the Rubicon. How does, how does this affect things? Well, let me tell you. Darius Hinks was coming out with the trilogy, the Mephiston trilogy. 
Darkness in the Blood takes place between books two and three. Hinks has talked about how he and Guy Haley worked together with Darkness in the Blood so that his third Mephiston book could follow right after that. Unfortunately, like I said, the limited edition came out. Darius Hinks' third book came out. People reading the third book and they see that Mephiston had already gone through the Rubicon. They're like, what the hell? When did that happen? Well, only the royalty who splurged the bukus for that uh, collector's edition, because it wasn't just a limited edition. It was a collector's edition. It was pricey. There was a lot in there. Got to find out everything right when it released. So people got things spoiled for the Mephiston trilogy. I'm sorry, Games Workshop, Black Library. That's a problem. And that's not just a problem for us here in the book club. That's a problem for, for all of your readers. You don't want to release like your paperback or your hardback um, for like six months or something. Okay, fine. Release at least a digital copy so people can follow right. along the story and get well, things in time. Like, the Lion is a good example. Collector's edition, hardback, ebook. Okay, if you want to do a if you want to do a limited edition, yes, that's fine. But again, that's great. release the ebook because again, and look, I understand that there's going to be people who are like. If you read the codexes, you know this already. Okay, that's not an unfair argument. However, for the people like us who are just reading that, also the codexes it are expensive. Make it hard. The codexes are more expensive than a limited they edition are. of a book. They're ninety dollars for yeah. a codex, versus a limited edition is anywhere between sixty and eighty-five. So this was bothering me, and I had to go back and look. We read Indominus, July of 2020. Oh, hell. Yeah. Yeah. So again, as you said, and I, I totally, like, I feel you so much on this because... The, in, and this is not so, John French's fault. Like... No, no, it's not. At all. at all. This is actually a Black Library thing. And because, like, okay, so you remember when... So Robbie Bobby wakes up. And it's all the Death Guard. It's the Death Guard, the Death Guard, the Death Guard, the Death Guard. Nurgle's coming. Nurgle's coming. So we release the Dark Imperium books, right? And then all of a sudden, between the second and the third book, they're like, mm, no, never mind. Let's go back and cover the Indominus Crusade. And guess what, y'all? Necrons. So then there's Necrons everywhere. So I'm going back through all of our books here, and we read a bunch of books that dealt with the necrons and the necrons were the big threat and the necrons were the big threat and the necrons and the necrons and then the necrons basically just disappear like not totally disappear i mean obviously we read um Kazarkin, which had necrons in it because i feel as though the um oh what's his name i really liked his books too uh, or i really liked a couple of his books he did the gosgol thraka book but he did the oh nick the crowley nick crowley yes he did that Ruin series. Mm -hmm. And then they basically are no longer at the forefront. Like, what are we supposed to do here? So, and if from reading the afterward, that may only be limited edition. I don't know. It's the only copy I have. Um, this is, this takes place before the awakening of the Necrons. So this was, Supposed to be like basically saying, oh, by the way, Harriman woke up the Necrons. Okay, that would have been relevant a, two years, even one year ago. Now it's just kind of like, okay. So I, 
agree I'm, with that entirely. I'm kind dis- I- of disappointed in that. So it was, I'm so actually very disappointed. It made it even harder to care about this book. It, you know what? I feel as though, like, so, okay, I, I got to the end of this book and I told Carrie, I like got to the end. I, I read the epilogue, closed it, dropped it, walked away. I just did not enjoy this at all. So, but you know, again, sometimes it do be that way sometimes. Um, but the thing that I will say is that I didn't read that afterwards. So Carrie then told me about it and I'm sitting there and all I could think was, I guess, like, that's, that's real neat. Again, using one of my kids' phrases, that's neat. But did I ask? Like, I don't think was anybody sitting around wondering, oh, man. I wonder what woke up the Necrons. Was well, anybody think, sitting around thinking that? To me, what that mostly signified was not the importance that, you know, who woke up the Necrons. Because no, nobody, right. nobody asked. Nobody cares. But it was more about the timeline in this whole thing. Just like, Agreed. Yeah, it's like, okay, but I don't care at this point. Like, you're too, as my dad would say, too late, Natal, and too late. Like, you've, <laughs> you, uh, like... A year ago, back in March, probably would have found this. I would have liked it maybe a little bit more. Jen might have tolerated it a little bit more. I'm not going to say she would have liked it, but yeah, she might have tolerated it a little bit more because it would have been fitting with the timeline. To the narrative. And I feel as though, and I'm going to be really honest, we're going to talk more about the Necro- the Harlequins here in a second. But given that we were reading the fabulous bill series right it kind of would have felt thematic we've got necrons over here we've got harlequins over here like stuff is happening and this all fits and makes it but i will say like reading this book i could not shake the feeling this was a three-year-old book like and i understand exactly as you said we bought the collector's edition and despite not liking this book i do still really like the collector's edition by the way it's, it's a gorgeous collector's edition um but we bought it Last year, and I wouldn't even say had we read this last year, Dill would have felt a little a smidgen out of place because by that point, we've already gone through ruin. The Necrons are kind of already by the last summer, just looking at the books that we were reading last summer, they've already kind of been moved to the back burner. And um, again, I get it, I get it. Um, <sighs> I think this would have felt a little dated. You can tell that he started writing it. And I think that is part of the problem of it's the Necrons, everyone. Oh, wait, no, never mind. It's not really the Necrons anymore. Maybe it's the Tau. What is it? What, what, what is the hotness this time? It's not the Death Guard. I'll tell you that much for nothing. Yeah. Just looking back at what we were reading last summer. Mm, well, actually, yeah, no, because last summer we're like we're reading a Dawn of Fire book, which did not involve the Necrons. This involves Corferon doing some stuff, right? Sigismund, um, Huron Blackheart, stuff about the sisters. I feel as though, and we've we've had this conversation before. Wow, so Ruin was the year before. Yeah. Holy crap! I was all ready. No, it wasn't. The last Ruin book was, uh, or Twice Dead King book was February twenty. 24- Fourth, so this would have come just a few weeks after that, and it might have fit in a little bit. But I mean, it's it's obvious that he turned this in. Actually, we read Twice Dead King like back to back months last year, mm-hmm. so it might have fit in. But like I said, he wrote the afterward in 
2021. I think he thought it was going to be published sooner than that. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, they would have had... Yeah, I don't think it... I, I just... I don't know. It feels very dated. Again, this is not John French's fault. This was the, this was the initiative he was given. But... So let's bridge into our next... I sort of bridge into our next topic here because this also, I think, goes with this. What? Is it a Black Library initiative that two of the big um, trader cap first captains, well, kind of with fabulous Bill, but you know what I mean, like two of the biggest named characters for two of the big trade le trader legions, one of, like, of the big four, um, the Harlequins are just trying to stop them? I don't know what the Harlequins are doing. I Quite frankly, I don't care. Let me ask you this. So we have the Necrons that felt very dated and i wouldn't even say that they felt going back to that really quick I, I really don't feel as though they i don't feel like they were a really great foil it was kind of fun to watch again getting to know you like watching him suss out the necrons and necrons suss out him this whole idea that the necrons have been sleeping for a bit here just a little bit um that they've been sleeping that, that's all that's a little bit interesting but I don't necessarily know that I was like oh yeah I am emotionally invested in what these people what these villains are doing I don't know would it have been better had it been a loyalist legion I don't know I I really didn't like just going to what you were saying and we'll talk again we'll bridge here into the harlequins but like I didn't care what the necrons were doing I didn't, I didn't really care like his, um, like, does his dynasty awaken? Does his dynasty not awaken? Don't know. Don't care. Like, by the midway point, right, where it's clear what he's trying to do, I'm like, again, I guess. I mean, we already know what the next book's going to be about. Is there going to be a next book? Please tell me not. I mean, Necrons are going to be, well, Necrons are now going to be hunting Ariman down. So that could be a problem. Is it though? Like, and that also, that kind of feels like such a slap to the Necrons. Not that I'm like, again, not that I'm like, anyways. It feels like such a slap to the Necrons that like, hey, go on a wild goose chase after Armin. Go chase your tail over there. Again, I guess. Nah, you know, he did try to kill a Pharon, so. Well, there's that. Um, so let me ask you a bigger question here, because the, the the Necrons, I do feel that the Necrons are at least integral to the plot. The, the, a yes. lot of the plot revolves around it, some very important... Not important. that I know what Ariman wanted from them. I mean, maybe this is another instance where I'm dumb, and I couldn't figure out what he was trying to get from them. Aside from chronomancy, I guess. But I didn't get the impression... Okay, so... I feel you on this. Once he talks to the Necron, it becomes clear what he wants from them. But they hunted out that Necron. How did you know to go after that thing? Like, how did you know to go after it in the first place? Because when he's talking to it, I got the impression that it was more of an opportunistic thing where he's talking to him and he's like, oh, are you, are you messing with time right now? Like, it felt more like a, this is really interesting, isn't it? What sent you after them? Which again goes back to, I didn't understand why he, because like we said, 
we got the I got the impression that he didn't know what that Xenos race was. Like they never once called him a Necron. They just kept saying no. that Xenos. So they didn't know yeah. what it was. But why did she pick it up then? Exactly. That's what I'm saying is like what made because they were on a mission for that particular Xenos. They they land and on so they they attack that ship to get that. You're right. You're right. And then to take it somewhere. But why? So I am I'm actually a really big Christopher Nolan fan. And um we went and saw that movie Tenet when it came out and I was so grossly disappointed in Tenet because Halfway through the movie, I leaned over to my husband and I was like, I understand what's going on. But how does the main character understand what's going on? Because we're getting a lot of exposition here and they haven't actually explained anything to him. He read the script is the short answer to that question. Um, it was a really disappointing movie in general. But that was my big question. I was like, but how does he know what's going on? And then by the time I got to the end of the movie, I still had that question of, I get it. But how does he get it? Um... Because he did get it very clearly. Um, I felt the same way with this. Okay. Yes. As soon as he's like mentions when the, as soon as the, the the Necron starts messing with the chronomancy thing, I was like, oh, of course that's what Armin's after. Of course it is. But you didn't know that that's what this thing provided to you. So what exactly were you hoping to gain from this? Was it just the fact that it had been encased in a crystal and somebody grabbed it, so you were like, ooh, <laughs> shiny. Like, like a magpie? Is he a dragon? Yeah, exactly. Mine, 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 mine. I don't, like, what What made you go after this thing? Because, again, it felt so opportunistic. We're going to say some time loop happened, so he, I, you know what, forget. I'm just going to exhaust myself. I'm going to stop talking. That's fair. We'll talk more about the time loop stuff in a second. Do we have to? Um, I'm afraid we have to because the whole Helios reveal thing is. But let's talk really quickly about the Har Harlequins. Okay. Do they help the narrative at all? See, now you're making me like think maybe I didn't like the book. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to no. The, the Harlequins were pointless. They were freaking pointless, except to kill the navigator, which I felt so sorry for the navigator this whole time. Yeah, I felt well, because the navigator and the blunter were becoming friends. And well, I, I didn't like, care about Go. that. It well, again, just... I, I've always said that the Stark, this universe is so dark and awful. I make a lot of jokes about romances. But the truth is, is that I just get happy when people find friendship. When they're just like, oh, hey, everything sucks and it's dark and miserable. But you know what? You're not bad. Let's be friends. Great. I, I um, just felt really bad for this, especially when he thought he was back in his rooms I was looking for his Aquila. I was like, oh my God, this poor guy. The funny thing is, I was talking to Jen. So I uh, got the audiobook because I drove four hours and back this last weekend. And uh, I figured maybe I could listen to it. And I think the narrator didn't like these characters either. Because. I don't much care for Milton either. Mrs. Milton didn't much like him any either. Uh. He made Ariman sound like, I'm going to date myself here, but he made him sound like Steve Urkel from Family Matters, a, a, a 80s, 90s TV show. Basically a very nasally high-pitched voice. Kind of a whiny guy. Yes. The Navigator, he made him sound like he just gets beat up by bullies like all the time. And he might get shoved into a locker. Like that's all I could think about. 
And the more this guy cried, I was like, he's going to get shoved in a locker again. <laughs> You're right. Well, I mean, I mean, like, look, did the Harlequins have to kill the navigator? It's a navigator. The night is full of terror, dark and full of terrors for the navigators, okay? Their lives are very short as it was. You could have killed them in a million different ways. I will honestly say that aside from that piece, and even then, you're on a ship of the Thousand Suns, really. Like, we've already established that the Thousand Suns can kind of navigate the warp. Um, they just the navigators... rather some mutant do it. <laughs> exactly. Like, that. that is difficult work, so let's leave it to this mutant thing. You could remove the na you could I, I will strongly argue you could remove the Harlequins from this book entirely. And the plot doesn't change. So here's a question that's gonna make me sound dumb once again. I think this is just my job. I need to change it. Question like the questioner of dumb things. Um do we know why they wanted to kill Catasius? They were out for him. I like. I got the impression that it was kind of because he was a demon gonna, summoner. Yeah, like he summons demons. That's bad. Okay, that, they don't okay. like that. Um, he had a lot of power. The fact that he kept that he compartmentalized the names in his head. Like, I don't know if maybe they were just like, okay, you're a, a problem. We don't like you in general because of like everything you're doing. I don't know if it's because he was semi-unnatural um i don't know i don't know if it was just because he's the character who has to die in the play oh he's the dentist from um little shop of horrors sorry dude you just gotta die why cuz so you just said dentist i know exactly where you're going with that <laughs> son be a dentist um uh. he's one of my favorite stage plays um it, yeah, like yeah, it really is. Does he just have to die? Cause well, if that's the answer, then I guess. But again, I mean, Helio Isadora up. said, "You're the one that dies." Well, how do you? Okay, but what does that yeah. mean? What does it mean? What? Why? And again, like this goes back <laughs> why to the whole Gamora? fabulous. Let's <laughs> do even better. Why are the Harlequins? For reals do though. Like, it, it reminded me very much of a Fabulous Bill. At least they kind of, like, at least Fabulous Bill susses it out, right? And is like, oh my god, you don't want me to get the band back together. You do not want me to get the uh, Emperor's children all organized, because that would be bad for you. Like, he kind of susses it out, and even uh, What's-Her-Face is like, yeah, I guess. And she's, like, all sad, like, oh, you figured it out. I don't know. The only reason why um, the Harlequins were, were tolerable... And that in that series is because Fabulous Built has done gave them to Trazen. <laughs> that was amazing. amazing. Uh and he calls them the space clowns. It's it's great. Yeah. Um I Yeah, there's a lot going on. It, it, I have a lot of questions with the Harlequins, because again, you could just remove them from the narrative. I don't understand why they're really chasing after Armin, other than yes, he's all about the warp. And look, if it was that he's been searching for the black library. I'd get it. Is it right. because he's going to open the webway and they're like, oh God, if he opens the webway, he's going to figure this out. Is that what it is? I mean, if that's what it is, that's a lot of inference on our part as a reader. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know why they had to go through the webway. Because. Because. Because the movie has to happen. <laughs> because they need the movie to happen. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. Um, it felt very much like that. It felt very much like 
I guess because he wanted Honestly, to like I laughed wax so hard. sentimental about what the webway is. I laughed so hard about that. It's like you're taking a Necron through the webway. Well, I like when they're like, it feels like it's alive. And he's like, oh, it is. Okay. And that was another thing where I was like, okay, great. We always kind of assumed it was like space arteries. Like, Well, I mean, the space elves made it. So one trope with elves that kind of drives me nuts. Everything's and alive. No, it's not so much like I guess in Lord of the Rings, but uh, Dragon Age touched on this as well is that I, I really get kind of tired of this idea that the elves have these magical portals to everywhere some of them don't work anymore some of them do we don't fully understand them this is not original I've seen this in several books now video games of course the video games had to bring in like you know mirror demons into it because because it's a video game um, so this whole idea, like, um, man, even, uh, gosh, what's that fantasy series I can't stand? I know that's not narrowing it down. Wheel of Time. They kind of mm. had their own version of these webways that were broken and didn't really know how to work them. And, you know, they're ancient and they're full of magic and blah, blah, blah. I am tired of that trope. I just, I just am. So either, like... At least, and like I'll go back to Dragon Age, at least with the dwarves with the deep roads, those are actually roads. All right. If the webway was like that, it's actually these roads that kind of go through. Awesome. I'd have no problem with this whole idea like, oh, they, were, they could be alive and they move depending on, you know, who, what you need from them. No, miss me. Miss me with that. I can't stand that because to me, that's a sign. I'm sorry, this that's a sign of lazy writing because that means I don't have to explain shit. It's magic. I don't have to explain shit. And I can take that for so many things, but not for everything. Not for everything. And I will actually say that was one of the things that I actually liked about, and I agree with you on the Alluvians. I do have some issue with the Alluvians from the Dragon Age series. However, they do set a lot of ground rules for the Alluvians, right? Yes. They're one-way portals for one thing. You have to know where you're going. And similar to the webway, some of the places are not very good to go through. And some bad things can come through them. But that also ties into the magic system. I don't love it. It's tropey. But at least they've set some ground rules for it. Well, I, I, I'm just saying it's another thing that the elves Oh, no, no, no. I totally agree. Created, yeah. Totally agree. And the problem that I have with this whole thing with that, like, oh, they changed the direction depending on who's going through them. Um, okay. I've got some questions then because this has literally never been described this way in any of the other books that I have read. It's always been, and now granted we typically see humans utilizing them, right? And they're just like, I have no idea what's going on here. Um, but like the Drukhari, yeah, look, I, I didn't like that description. I definitely didn't like the idea that they're alive. It reminds me a little too much of the Wraithbone. And that is one of the tropes that I don't like with the elves where they're basically like, look, all of their magic comes from life and most of their stuff is somewhat alive actually it's a trope that i get tired with i and it all goes back to tolkien it does right because this all draws back to that central concept of tolkien that the elves were a mystical advanced super powerful super intelligent species that is in decline 
and nobody really understands anymore. Got it. Riggin got it. And Same with the dwarves, right? And, that's why all the dwarves are in decline. But in Tolkien's defense, he kind of invented that trope. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> is it like, look, yeah. when you when you write the blueprint, you get to write whatever you want. The urtext, as it were, was you get to write whatever but you even want. But then he established clear rules with stuff. Very, very clear rules. And this then bridges nicely into our next topic, because this touches on a trope that I hate. What did you make of Helio's revelations? Stupid. I'm sorry. Stupid. The second that he was like, I am the personification of the rubrics. Oh, get out of here. I am the Are you the pyrodomon? Kidding me? Oh, okay. Okay. Sure. Uh, okay. I just can't. I Like I was honestly with the fact we have this rubriquet that went through the second rubric and he is broken. I That actually made 100% sense to me. Especially when Contasius is going through, he's like, oh my gosh, your memories are just like all over the place. You're a broken thing now. Like we, Because to me, that was a sign of we can't fix the rubriquet. We they, can't go back. Because in a way, their minds are now like the dust that they were. It's just scattered and everywhere. And I was fine with that. That was great. But as soon as he said, I am the second rubric, it's like, no. Nope. No, no, no. No. It, I liked Helios as well because it reminded me like of, and this is, this is a horrible concept for humans, but like when people are brain dead, but their body is still alive, right? And so, like, modern medicine can keep your body alive. But if there's no brain activity, you're you're dead. You're gone. Like, yes, you're you're a body. And I, I really liked the idea that, like, he was soul dead, as it were. Right. Like, yes, he is there. He kind of has a, like, I am Helio. Like, I know my name. Beyond that, there's nothing there. Like, you have not brought back the person you thought you were bringing back, right? It actually reminds With you, I thought it was wonderful. He made me think of, like, if if a space marine would get um, Alzheimer's because he would have these moments of lucidity. Mm-hmm. And then he's just like, I, I, I don't know why this is that. But, you know, but I thought this would look nice if I moved this here. You know, just... Like, again, shadows hints of his former self i thought that was a, a wonderful concept that was actually yeah. one of the things that really stood out to me which is why i saved it for this point is that yeah it's like a shadow of his former self and that's because again one of the things that i've always liked about the thousand sons and this was the only high note that i had for those first three books was that they don't really understand the rubricate they don't understand what's going on in there right like it's a mystery to them even I liked that concept. And there's so much that result that the 40K universe revolves so much around the concept of a soul. And and then he's just a personification of, oh, I had Battlestar Galactica flashbacks. I, I, I just, it, it, I mean, he might as well just been like, I was never real. I was just a group persona. Like I was just a group hallucination. Um, yeah, I don't like that those either. I don't like those. I don't like the, I am the personification of a feeling. I am the personification of a concept, of a memory. I don't like it. I've seen this trope trotted out before and I don't like it. And 
everything, like basically every conversation, I and I made this joke to Carrie before and I will make this again here just to say that as I was reading it, the first thought I had was, wow, I thought the numbers thing was pretentious from... Yes. What's uh, penitent. Penitent. From Penitent. I was like, oh man, I thought that number shit was pretentious. Like this whole, like... Again, to quote the uh, that why is like it just felt like the the lowest brow waxing poetic sentimental like deep thoughts with Jack Handy. You know, but a dated reference for you. Well, I mean, I I mentioned Steve Urkel, so you know, there we go. Um, We're old, <laughs> but um, dang it went away it that just sucks <laughs> like the rubric um the idea that it needs to be a person and then and then by the end of the book when he's sitting there talking with helio again i'm like but oh i remember what i was gonna say so it kind of reminds me there's another trope that i really don't like it's very rampant in anime and manga and it's kind of how i felt a little bit with catasius going through his mind is this Alice in Wonderland trope. And I'm not nope. a, I'm not a fan of this. Like we're in this weird fever dream. Crapper things like may or may not make any sense. And we're all mad here. Yes. Yes. And it's like, you know, it's yeah. like at the end and you find out, oh, the Mad Hatter is the only sane one here. Okay. That makes sense. Sure. 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 Um, I, I also am not a fan of the dream world of like, what is going on? What, what, what is reality? What is the truth? Where are we? Like, what does it mean? What does life mean? There's a bunch of stuff like that. I actually, it reminded me, it brought back, and this is, this was one of those movies that everybody should have memory hold um, because it was not good. Um, what dreams may come. Oh, it reminded me so much of that. Like the whole thing where it, I didn't, I, mm, it reminded me a lot of that and it hit on notes there that I didn't like either where it's this, again, it's somewhat pretentious and it's somewhat nonsensical. And it actually reminded me a little bit of Peter Fahavari and that I was like, wow, you thought this was deep, didn't you? And that's me being a real dick right there. And I do apologize. It's again, it's been a long week and I'm drinking. Um, but this could have been cut in half being, being more generous of it. Like, this could have been chopped down a lot. And not, but here's the other thing. Finding out that Helio is the pyrodomon, the personification of this failed second rubric, did that change anything? Does that, the only thing that happened was that he killed Ignis. So I'm like, that is unforgivable. He was the that best character. unforgivable. I was pissed. Like, he was the best character. Why you kill him? He was the best character by far. And, and I think I said He's this. He's like, oh, but I book. saved him. He went through the fire and this is what happened. Okay. So is this your foreshadowing? Of this is the only way the thousand sons can be saved. I get it, Anne Rand. You don't need to beat me over the head with it. Exactly. It, it, it was. <sighs> I thought I just died. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like. 
because the book really at the end there it really starts to go into this big like well what does it mean and what does this mean for the thousand suns what what was what is what will come what does this book mean for the thousand suns where do they go from here you threatened me with a fifth book before we started podcasting not funny they don't negotiate with terrorists um, well, but these aren't even the Thousand Suns, like the themselves the Exiles. Like, what are the real Thousand Suns doing? Well, and yet, though... I feel did... like they're living their best life on the planet of Sorcerers. Like, we don't need to be fixed. We're fine. <laughs> right? But he kind of implied that he's like, well, this is basically the fate of the Thousand Suns. Which, again... Okay. Which, like, okay, that was, like, pretty much punched in with the horse heresy over and over again that... That the Thousand Suns were always fated, because that's how Magnus lost one of his eyes. He was thinking he was making a, he thought he was making a bargain with the Good Witch of the East. And right, it was yeah. not. <laughs> it was not Glenda. It no. was the Wicked Witch of the West. Right. You thought you were making a good bargain, but you weren't. And which is the story of the Thousand Suns. Again, the, the Thousand Suns are Silent Bob on the rakes. Except, unlike in that where it goes around the horn to being funny, this has not yet gone around the horn to being compelling to me. Because they just keep making mistakes and they keep aligning with the wrong ideas and the wrong concepts and the wrong people. And I just... Well, I just uh -oh. remembered I had like marked a uh, quotation here. Okay. Page 237 of our book. So sorry, I don't know what's in everybody else's. It's where Catasius is talking to, oh, who are you talking to? You know what? I don't care. He's like, you know, we are so alike, all of the thousand sons. We believe that we know everything, see everything. Magnus thought he knew better than the emperor. Ariman thought that he could save the legion and defied Magnus. Oh, so he's talking to Helio. Now yep. you believe that you and only you are our salvation. And like all the rest, you don't realize that your vision is flawed. Ladies and gentlemen, the thousand sons. The thousand sons in one expositionary paragraph. Um, yeah, it is. Again, though, it's the same thing. It's over just another over example. Over. It's like, and it's something that they talked about in the Horus Heresy, like with the Thousand Sons, and even in um, Prospero Burns, is like these people are so smart. They're so knowledgeable and they're so intelligent that they can't see past themselves. That's the problem, you know. So, um, my youngest is actually doing this big biography project on Albert Einstein. I have a point here, I promise. And one of the things that we were getting into with Albert Einstein, the problems he had in school was that he wanted to learn, but he wouldn't let anyone teach him. Actually, one of the big things that we talked about in his report. That's how I see the Thousand Sons. Like, I'm there reading this book with him, and I get to that line, I'm like, oh my God, it's relevant to my life right now. Just with the Thousand Sons, they are so smart. And they want to learn, but they won't let anybody teach them. See, I, I just still continue to disagree with the smart label because they don't behave in a way that's smart. And actually, so I'll also tell okay, it like a quick They're knowledgeable. Story. They're not wise. You know, it just goes back. That, you know what? It could be the difference between intellect and wisdom. Because and 
Albert Einstein was smart. He was very knowledgeable. He was not wise. And I think, so my daughter and I had to have this conversation once. I always am trying to tell her that there's no such thing as a true synonym, right? There are words that have similar meanings, but they're not the same thing. And so one of the examples I had used once was she had, she had a friend who had done something and ended up having to pay a price for it. And I told her, I was like, that is the difference between smart and clever. What she did was clever. It was not smart. And we often talk about this, like I'll, I won't use names here, but I know a person who is easily one of the smartest people that I know, book-wise. Shit for common sense. And maybe that really is what the thousands of are. They have shit for common sense. Yes. There's no wisdom there. No, you know, and... But wisdom it, was their dump stat, but int was their... Right? So, I mean, you know, there's a line in a Star Wars movie that Jen pretends doesn't exist. We're like, I thought you knew the difference between knowledge and wisdom. That's the problem with the Thousand Sons. Right there. Yes. And, you know... I would I would agree with that, is that they're not... They have all this intelligence, and yet they don't know how to use it. There's... My husband loves to tell this story about how he always used to think he was so much smarter than his sister, which... I don't know, but his dad loves to tell the story that his dad grabbed them both once and was like, all right, you are lost in downtown and you can't find us. What do you do? And my husband goes, well, I know that we're south of downtown, so I would just start walking south because isn't that smart? And my sister-in-law goes, I find a police officer and tell him I'm lost. Wisdom, smart. Right. The Thousand Sons are 100% the legion that would just, oh, we'll just start walking south. Yes. Whereas there are other legions that would be like, we, we need to find someone. We need to get some help. Like, it is. It, it Maybe the more, okay, so see, look at that. You started to realize that maybe you didn't enjoy this book as much as you did. And now I'm being a little bit more charitable to the Thousand Sons and saying that, yes, it is the difference between intelligence and wisdom. And wisdom was definitely their dump stat. And I mean, that's, I mean, Catasius just said it, you know, beautifully, just like right, right here is like, you know, we believe that we know everything and yet you don't realize that your vision is flawed. You can't see past yourself. You want to learn, but you can't be taught. You know, it's that whole yeah. idea of like, you know, it's one thing to be the smartest person in the room and it's another thing to be the smartest person in the room and make everyone know that you are that's the thousand sons they're always letting everybody know that they're the smartest ones in the room which is sad because like in the horse heresy they weren't totally like that because they were but they weren't they were because they wanted to teach everybody so badly but again, they weren't this is where the wisdom thing comes because in. they wanted to teach everybody. So they wanted to learn so much. So it's just this, you know, and of course, you know, a lot happens in 10,000 years. Right. Um, and it's just apparently just made Ariman more stubborn. He was just so convinced when he got the book of Magnus at the end, you know, and the, this, um, when a sorcerer is, well, this has everything <laughs> because right. Magnus didn't make any mistakes in the past. And that's why I say that the thousand sons are the definition of insanity. 
they keep trying the same thing over and over. Now maybe the methods are different, but the ultimate at the at its core. Well, let's just use the warp to fix it. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, we got to use the warp in a different way. Oh, that didn't fix it. You know what? <laughs> we got to use the warp in a different way. Like they keep trying the same thing over and over and over and then act surprised when it doesn't work. And it reminds me of that. I, I think I've said this before, but one of my favorite quotes from a video game ever is from Far Cry 3. It's Voss's speech, right? And it's when he's talking about this time, things are going to be different. No, 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 please. This time's going to be different. That's the Thousand Suns. No, 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 please. This time we use the warp. It's... Spoiler alert. It never is. And yeah, I mean, they do. Oh, God. That's why the, the, the Necrons are even more thematic now, because they're basically in a time loop. Just trying. Well, it's like, you know... Um, on a hamster wheel of like, warpery. Like Sedek, he was just like, this is our world. Like, now that we're awake, it's ours. We're taking it back. From like, That's cute. I'm sorry, but you snoozed, you lose. I know I made that joke before with the Necrons, but seriously, you snooze, you lose. Like, there's other things going on right now. We're in the case of that dynasty, not snooze and lost. Yeah. Like, I mean, look, there's, yes, it, it is in the Necrons, especially in this book, are very much a cautionary tale. Now, didn't our Armin and his little, his little group of friends, are they going to take the right lessons from that? Of course not. Yeah, but I think it might have been Catasius was saying that even Magnus already knew there was no saving anybody. Like, Magnus thing was like, stop. There's no saving. It's just now time to steer into the skid. That's <laughs> what Magnus did. He's like, there's no coming back from what I did. So time to steer into the skid. What's kind of funny about that is, you know, again, so this current short story thing I'm reading, it's about the sigilite and stuff that he's doing. And there's a great line for him where he's talking about how he can't blame Horus yet. But he does play, blame Magnus because Magnus should have known better. We had great expectations for Magnus. So I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, he, he should have. But you had great expectations? There's the problem. You guys never explained your expectations for him. So he just thought you guys were putting him down, not praising his efforts. That is why he did the things that he did. Again, it all goes back to the emperor being a bad father, right? Because the funny part is the next line is, if there was anybody I wish I could have saved or wish we could have treated differently, it would have been Lorgar. Which, you know, a whole other can of worms of that. was like, well, you should have made sure that Corferon didn't come anywhere near him. That was your first mistake. Like, yeah, like not let him become first captain. Or, you know what? Just, just a thought. Maybe just a, maybe just a bullet finds the back of his head and his and Erebus's like it's a two for one it's a bogo or just a, maybe a, a, his a dad, his dad kill one get one hangs out with Lorgar and gives him a hug yeah I'm just saying you know there's I, a lot of there's how a lot many of like how that. many things could have been solved if the emperor gave his kids a hug which goes back to one of my favorite quotes from a Deathstroke comic about how he's about how Deathstroke is about to tear open the universe because a man doesn't know how to hug his children favorite line ever thank you wintergreen pretty much but but magnus at least like magnus he has steered into the skid he has seen what has happened i've messed up 
I can't fix anything. Might as well just enjoy it now, right? And that's why he exiled Armin because, and I don't think it was because of the rubric. I think it was because he could tell Armin's like, but I can fix it. He's like, no, you can't. We're done. You broke us. We can't be fixed. And it's something that even Catasius, I think even Helio even said, there's no fixing this. It's over. That's why Helio is like the only redemption is by fire. So I'm going to take Ignis because his name means fire. Because, because. The wink, only. Wink, wink. Good character. And you killed him. And as you talked about, he had the rarest form of like their sorcery, you know, using the math and science and logic. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of using that math is magic. I do really like that. I'm not going to lie. The math magician. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. This, I have to say that um, I am really glad that our next book does not have any of this. One of the things that I think with this book, I think when so I got to the end of this book, I was like, it's just, okay, that's fair. But I do feel as though I got through the book and I was just like, it's too heavy at the end there. The, I mean, the, th- the Thousand Suns have more baggage than Grand Central Station. It's just. A lot. At least these guys do. I think, well, you know, I think really you could argue that about all the Trader Legions. They all have a lot of baggage. But in particular, these guys have got a lot of baggage. Um, a lot of baggage. And honestly, and I'm also a little disappointed because what I thought, because this is like, okay, so now we got Ariman post-rift. Okay, cool. What is he going to do? Well, first of all, I mean, obviously the Necrons were past idea. But I feel like we didn't even get into, like, what's going on in the Imperium. We didn't. What we got into was theater kids and Egyptian Terminators. Don't forget the mimes. Or the mime. No. We are forgetting that. We are memory-holding that. And we're literally never speaking about it again. In the beginning, when she likes us, like, using their special mime language to talk, which I just figured her the whole time being like, <laughs> I oh my god! For, if anybody I, ever saw I, Drop I, Dead Gorgeous, I'm sorry you podcast you podcast only listeners, but Jen just kind of did her own little form of sign language there. It was funny. I love you. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. Even though, even though that's, but yes, I um, I if anyone's ever seen Drop Dead Gorgeous, it is an underrated cinematic masterpiece that aged like a fine wine. Um. There's a girl in there who does like interpretive dance with uh, sign language. And if you know anything about sign language, there's so many words that you have to like spell out. And um, she's hilarious. And that's what I pictured. That's <laughs> what I pictured. This mind. Oh like. my gosh. Wow. Interpretive <clears throat> dance with sign language. Yes. It um uh, it's it's in the arms of love I think it is but so that's a lot sad. of her been her doing this and it's oh my god it's so but bad. this mime was so sad she was really hoping that she would be killed but the dance wouldn't let her die emo theater kids just <laughs> when you thought they couldn't get any worse we introduced mimes and not only are mimes an emo mime was anybody sitting around thinking to themselves God. I wonder if the Harlequins have mimes. And I wonder, I wonder if they're extra sad. 
Well, don't mimes usually have like that teardrop? <laughs> oh, for Christ's sake. Let's talk about our next book. I got to put this book out of my friggin' mind. <laughs> Sorry. Actually, it's really kind of funny to me because we are going from the morose and serious and what is life? What are we doing? Oh, I just thought of the best line. It could have been instead of Arma. I could have done like Araminalda. Anyways. Ah, oh, that would have been good. That's okay. War Boss by Mike Brooks. I'm so excited to read another Mike Brooks Orcs. workbook. You know why? Because his workbooks are funny. Orcs books are funny and Orcs is And I best. need some humor. And this, it's funny to me because we're reading this and then Mike Brooks is releasing the Lion book tomorrow. I need some humor. I need some laughter. I need some people who the thinky parts don't work very well. Uh, these guys have neither intelligence nor wisdom. Now, they are clever. Going back to my clever versus intelligence, they are clever. I mean, kind of. Um, I... I don't know. The back of the book talks about someone's that the war boss is proper dead. <laughs> that's, uh... That's pretty bad. Proper dead, but somebody's going to be proper clever. Because, you know, they do mention... And we've got Gork and Mork in here. So, you know, Mork, or so he claims. That's pretty funny. Snaggy uh, little tooth. Has to be more because we got a weird boy on the cover. I am very excited to read this. This is going to be like, again, just some candy. Just some candy after this. I like how the weird boy is pointing to his head. Like he's telling everybody, see, I'm thinking. I'm clever. Proper clever. Like he's a dream cast. He's thinking. There you go. More deep cuts to show how old I am. I like it though. Mm. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Um... And I'm excited to not talk about Armin for a while. And um, I just like to put this incident behind me along with this incident. Let's just end with this. Well, at least we read like a fun book before that. That's true. That's true. We did. Um, but I would like to not be leapfrogging around with fun book. No. Fun book. Fun book. No. Well, but we do have Armageddon to look forward to as well. Yes. So, but let's, let's get some humor in here. Let's have some space hooligans. I'll be very sad if this is not funny. Don't even say that. Don't even jinx us. <laughs> Doesn't want it. Do you want to take us out, Carrie? I guess. Probably wanted to a while ago, to be totally honest. But, you know, here, here we go. So you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Ariman. Eternal. Wait, but is he eternal? Because he didn't find the answer to chronomancy. So I'm confused. Okay, fine. I see the, the glass signal, so I need to keep talking. Anyway, John French wrote this. Be sure to join us next time for War Boss by Mike Brooks. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those wonderful things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. Yeah, I guess I'm Alfarious because that's got to be better than being Ariman at this point, right? 
I'd say get you some chartreuse, but that's so three years ago. Damn. That was way harsh, Ty. More like eternally stupid. Good night. Yeah, good night. Good lord. <laughs> of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.